discovering stories of courage, determination, and hope. Welcome to Faith Radio's On the Road. Now, here's Ryan Thomas. While one is a legendary author and the other a genre-reshaping director, they also just so happen to be father and son, and they're behind one of the most remarkable media phenomena of recent years. The Chosen is the television series taking a pioneering angle on the life of Jesus, sharing the story from the perspective of those who knew him best. In the new book, The Chosen, I've Called You By Name, adds even more meaning to this special effort. Today we welcome the one and only Jerry B. Jenkins, who authors the book based on the groundbreaking work of his son Dallas Jenkins, the creator and director of The Chosen. And yes, by the way, Jerry does happen to be the Jerry B. Jenkins of the 21 New York Times bestsellers, including the famed Left Behind series, co-written with his friend Tim LaHaye. Thanks so much for being here, Jerry. How's today looking for you, sir? It's looking great and I'm honored to be with you. Thanks. Oh my goodness, sir. It's our absolute pleasure to have you. And I've got to say, I'm just going to indulge myself uh, first off today because, of course, there have been so many titles that have meant so much to so many. And we're going to spend a good bit of time talking about those books today. But first and foremost, you wrote one of my favorite books of all time. I've loved it ever since the first time I've read it. It is the story of a 14-year-old who makes it to the major leagues of baseball with the Chicago Cubs, the book called Rookie. Jerry, thank you so much for writing that book, my friend. That happens to be one of my favorites, too. I'm a baseball freak from way back, and I had so much fun with that. Oh, I've got to say, that makes so much sense to me because I just felt that it was written with so much love for the game of baseball. That was real. That was from your heart. It really was. In fact, it was inspired by um, playing catch with my son Dallas when he was about 11 or 12. I was throwing him fly balls, and he'd run back and catch him. And he was doing play-by-play as he did that, like kids <laughs> do, you know. And he said, Dallas Jenkins goes back and makes the catch. And I'm thinking, oh, this is cool. He wants to be a, a big leaguer someday. And he says, the youngest player in the history of the big leagues makes the catch. Oh. And I thought, he wants to be a big leaguer now. And that just gave me the idea for that book. And I really did think that was what was so great about the book was that so many who grew up imagining playing that game dreamed of playing it at that moment you know they didn't want to wait a decade to do it they wanted to play at that moment and you gave this plausible explanation for how it could really happen yeah he he didn't have a bionic arm or he wasn't robotic um he just had you know he's bigger than most kids faster and and of course his father had played some professional ball so he had all the tools and all the, the things that go into it. And uh, I tried to make it plausible. Uh, hope it was. Yeah. Oh, man. I think I've read the book 10 to 15 times. So I I couldn't wow. resist thanking you for writing the book. Thank you once again. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and dig into this remarkable effort that is the series, The Chosen. And this is really something. Over $20 million raised to produce the first two seasons the largest crowdfunded media project ever. Jerry, there's never really been anything quite like this before, has there? No, in fact, uh, when when the people in, associated with Dallas said they were going to try to crowdfund it, he was pretty dubious. He said, you know, I don't know if he'll raise $1,000 because <laughs> it's hard to ask people for money. And usually if you're doing something creative, you need to just do it, get it out there and, and hope it sells. 
But uh, they said, let us try this. And he, they put the pilot up there of a short he had done for his church. And uh, it just exploded. It's, it's become an international phenomenon, as you know. And uh, uh, he was certainly wrong about that $1,000. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have heard people raving about this. Everyone who has seen it seems to just rave about it. Talk a little bit about the unique perspective, because obviously, you know, these are the stories that we've heard more perhaps than any stories ever in the world. But there's a very unique angle being taken both in the book you've written and in the series itself. These are these stories being told by the people who knew Jesus best. Yeah, it's the story of those that he called around him, the chosen. And uh, Dallas had this idea for really many years. He, He never cared too much for the typical Jesus movie or Jesus TV show because obviously Jesus is hard to identify with being perfect. And, and <laughs> the producers of these other ones always so emphasize his, his Godhead, his, his God quality, that they sort of ignore the human quality, the idea that he might have had a sense of humor, that he was accessible, that he teased his friends, that they had good times. And um, so when he takes this approach, it really makes Jesus accessible. But most of all, I think we see ourselves in these flawed characters that he, he gathered around him because they weren't perfect. They were like us. And uh, we can identify with them and say, hey, I came to Jesus and am now not what I ever was before. And um, that's the experience that he wants to portray on, on the screen. That's what I want to reflect in the, in the novel. And, uh, and that's what we want readers to get from it, too. How much fun is it to be able to work with your son in something like this? I mean, not only are you telling the greatest story ever told, but to be able to work with your son to do it, that's got to be such a blessing. It really is. And uh, you know, we've been working together a long time because when he got out of uh, college, he went to a school where they didn't have a film emphasis, but they did have stage drama, and he was involved very heavily in that. But he wanted to make movies. And um, when he saw a script that he thought would make a good movie, uh, he talked me into starting a little film company. We just called it Jenkins Entertainment. And and then he went to Hollywood. He was there about 10 years and made several feature films. And um, so it was always fun to be involved with him. But this is a project of his own. And and, uh, he says, he he likes to tease me. He he says, I used to be known as your son, but now you're known as my father. (laughs) That's true. Well, he really has been on the leading edge of an excellence that has come into Christian filmmaking and the cinematographical uh, evolution of Christian filmmaking and the writing being of such high quality. It was fun to hear you reflect on what he does well. I mean, from the outside looking in, what is the gift that he has? I've I've enjoyed his film so much, starting with What If?, that film starring Kevin Sorbo and Christy Swanson. What does he do so well as a filmmaker? I think that he really has a handle on uh, on the viewer and what they'll relate to. Um, so often you see movies where it's obvious that everybody's acting and they're they're portraying a character and you just decide whether they do that well or not. Um, he really, you know, I've seen watched him on the set and what he draws out of actors, I think is a reality and he can get people to dial it down 20%. He can get them to, to dial it up a few percent if he needs to. And, uh, I love the way he directs children. Um, so often he tells children, don't 
act, just be, oh. and and uh, say what comes to mind. I mean, they know the script and everything, but um, he doesn't want them to overact because it becomes so obvious as a, for a child. But um, I do think that's it. And also, especially with The Chosen, a lot of people say, well, it's not going to be a success unless you get a big name attached to it. Right. And yet I think I think it would be distracting if there was a name actor that we all knew mm. and it was familiar in a lot of Christian movies or, or TV shows. Um, we'd be watching for how that person portrays that role. And Dallas said, look, these are Middle Eastern people, most of them Jewish. Those are the kind of actors we want. And I don't care if their names are not, if they can act. Well, because they're not big names yet, I mean, they think they will be now, uh, they work harder than any actors, and and I think he's just drawn the best out of them. I don't see a weak spot in that whole cast. I don't know how he did it. It's a really special conversation with Mr. Jerry B. Jenkins today. He pens The Chosen, I've Called You By Name. It's a book based on the hit TV series, and by the way, he's a 21-time New York Times bestselling author. 21. (laughs) Now, what you've done here in the book is a novelization of season one, Jerry. And this is pretty fascinating in a lot of ways, but one of the big ones, so often it's a movie that's born from a book, but this is the other way around. What did you set out to do with this, sir? Yeah, this is really reverse engineered. As you say, usually it's the other way around. Um, Because this has been so popular and people have seen it on the screen, what I wanted to do was use the same sequence that Dallas and his co-writers used uh, and the same direction. So a lot of my work was done for me. The creativity of these guys is off the charts. And uh, and as I say, the sequence is there. So I know where I'm starting and where I'm ending. What I bring to the table is I, I want, when I cover a scene that's that's been on the screen, I want it to be exactly the way people saw it because nothing frustrates me more than when I read a book and then go to watch the movie and and I, I don't recognize it. Um, I think at least that part needs to be the same. But then what's new? And what's new is bringing the inner monologue, the, the reactions and the thoughts of the characters. How did they feel at the time this happened? That's something you can't do on the screen. You have to have them speak with each other and interact to get that. But in a, in a book, you can just have that going through their mind. And that's what it's been very gratifying to hear from readers. They say, oh, I understand these scenes better. I, I get what the character was going through at that time. So I'm, I'm just having the time of my life doing this. That's awesome. Well, that's really saying something because you've written just a few incredible books, Jerry. That's really saying something. Well, it's just been fun. I mean, I, I um, love doing it. And I'm working on, uh, on season two right now for book two. And uh, I think it's going to be uh, a special one. I hope so. I'm giving it all, all I've got. Mm-hmm. You know, we mentioned the uniqueness of the storytelling lens. And I wonder personally, as the author, as you go through this material, as you express it and communicate it, is there a personal blessing, a personal enrichment of your own faith that you find looking at these stories in such a unique and different way? You know, there is. And I, I found as I watch a lot of the response online, you know, this thing has become so huge that thousands of people discuss it online every day. And I'm, I'm having the same experience a lot of other people are too. They're saying they're reading the Bible differently than ever before because they picture these characters, these actors who are playing these roles in the role of the people in the Bible. So 
you know, a lot of times I couldn't picture Peter. I knew he was supposed to be a big guy or a strong guy, and he was, you know, kind of flew off the handle, and he was a <laughs> an outdoorsman. He was a fisherman and that type of thing. Right. Um, and his strengths were his weaknesses. But I could never put a face to him because I've seen statues of Peter. I've seen paintings of Peter. Usually he's this big old heavily bearded guy with a halo, you know. <laughs> and uh, so just hard to picture him. And now I just see him as the character that plays this, and it, it brings it to life for me. It, it makes it make sense to me. Same with Nicodemus and Mary Magdalene and, and the Matthew, too. Now, we should, we should go ahead and mention there are so many places that you can find this and really begin your experience with The Chosen. But if somebody's listening today and they just really want to find out more, where's the best place would you say to start the journey to go and, and find the book as well, perhaps to get started watching the series? Well, the best way to, to start with this series is just to download the, the Chosen app. And um, you can get that, you know, either on an Android or on, on uh, an iPhone. And once you've got the app, you can download all the episodes free and cast them. If you've got a smart TV, you can cast them to your TV within seconds. Uh, I was even able to do it. And I'm, and I'm telling you, when I was a kid, rainbows were black and white. So I go <laughs> right but um, if I can do it, anybody can do it. And uh, the book is available everywhere. I mean, you can get it on Amazon. You can get it at any, any bookstore, Christian or, or general market. Um, they're everywhere. So uh, I would urge people to, to check it out. And uh, I think you really enjoy it. Can I just say a salute to your creativity? I don't think I've ever heard that phrase before. When I was a kid, rainbows were black and white. Thank you for adding that to my lexicon today. Feel free to steal it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my word. Jerry B. Jenkins with us today. The book is called The Chosen. I have called you by name. It is based on the hit TV series. And Jerry, a 21-time New York Times bestselling author. You know, we have the chance to talk with a lot of authors and when they're being honest about it, they'll talk about the grueling journey of writing one book, (laughs) you know, how exhausting it could be, the voyage that it really is from preparation to completion. Now, obviously your bio tells the tale of nearly 200 titles to your name, Jerry. And the question that I can't resist asking, I mean, how do you refill your creativity, your mental energy to keep writing and to keep telling stories in this this really marathon fashion? You know, it's interesting. This I, I mentioned that I'm working on the, the novel for season two, and that will be my 200th book. And at the risk of sounding falsely modest, I really believe that I'm mono-gifted. I don't sing or dance or preach. I just write. And ironically, I wasn't called to write. Um, if I if I had a call in my life, it was when I was about 16, I answered a call uh, at camp to go forward. And the call was to full-time Christian work. And I thought, I was already a sports writer at that age. And I thought, well, I'm going to have to give up the writing and study to be a pastor or a missionary. But a wise counselor that night said, look, often God equips us before he calls us. And so if he's equipped you with this writing gift, that may be the vehicle you use to answer this call. So my call is to full-time Christian work. Writing is just the vehicle. And that changes my whole view of success because success is not bestsellers and big royalty checks and great reviews, even though I've had those. 
success is obedience. If I write the book, the rest of that is up to God and up to the marketplace anyway. I can't make people buy a book. I can't make it a bestseller. I just obey my calling, do the best work I can do. And uh, and when you say, you know, how, how can you do that? And isn't it grueling? Actually, it is. Some people have said, when did you know you loved writing? I'll tell you, I loved I love having written. <laughs> I love being known as a writer and being able to do it and, and you know, exercising those muscles. But while I'm doing it, it's grueling. And it's sort of like asking a marathon runner at the 20-mile mark, don't you just love running? <laughs> you might get a response you didn't expect. Um, it's, just, it's just hard work. But as I say, it's the only gift I've got, so I feel obligated to exercise it. Oh, man. Thank you for that response and for your humility for taking inside uh, really uh, the remarkable process of writing. I so appreciate that. The reality, of course, is that you will forever be known for so many things, but right up there on top of the headline, of course, uh, the incredible Left Behind series that you wrote uh, with your friend Tim LaHaye. And I, I couldn't, as I was thinking about it today, you know, you look back on that series and all the millions upon millions of books that were sold, and it's the tendency of history. You look back and think, oh, of course that was going to be so successful. But when you're talking about writing about the end times and about apocalyptic events, there's so much disagreement. There's so much controversy about those things. I mean, really, it wasn't at all guaranteed that that would be successful. Why did you want to tackle it, you and Tim? Well, it was really a, um, the, Tim's heartbeat. He would preach on the end times. He wrote a lot of nonfiction books on it. But he said those sold fairly modestly. But he said everywhere he looked, people were reading novels. And so he asked his agent, you know, is there a novelist that can, can write these for me? And um, we got together. In fact, my agents, you know, told me, he said, Tim LaHaye is a, is a best-selling nonfiction writer who has a great fiction idea, and you're a novelist with no ideas, so why don't we get you guys together? And um, we just hit it off, and he was the age of my parents, so there was sort of a father-son dynamic there. And um, I was raised in the same tradition and believed the way he did, and we didn't realize quite how controversial eschatology was until mm. Left Behind became a success. When it was just sort of, you know, trundling along the first year, nobody cared that much. But once it became a huge success, everybody had their own opinions. But our tack was, we have a view of how we think it's going to go. We're not married to it. We're not falling our sword for it. But this is what we believe the scripture says and means. And, and so I put fictional characters in the way of those events to, to see what would happen. And um, we just said, we're not arguing for any special uh, position on this. We're just saying, if it happens the way we think, this is what it could look like. And so we kind of let the criticism and all the controversy roll off our backs and just said, you know, if you've got a better idea, go ahead and write your <laughs> series. But um, but our, our view really made for good fiction too, because it is a, a surprise rapture. It comes when nobody expects it. And, and then the whole world is, is saying, what happened and what does this mean? Oh, yeah. It makes for incredible drama. There's no question about it. When you were in the marathon of writing, let's say, the first book, because obviously by the time you start writing the the sequels, you begin to understand the success this is having. But did you ever for a second imagine the really cultural 
success in addition to the sales that it was going to have. Did you ever see that as a possibility? Not at that level. Uh, I thought we had something special. In fact, you know, it was only going to be one book originally. It was going to be one big book with the rapture, the seven years of tribulation, and the glorious appearing. And I started the writing, and I realized if I write only these high points, it's going to look like a a comic book or, you know, a movie. And I really want fiction to be believable, so I was concentrating on character development and getting people to really know the characters. I got about halfway through the writing of that first book and realized I'd only covered two weeks of the seven years. And so <laughs> I called Dr. LaHaye and I called the publisher and I said, you know, this is going to be more than one book. And they said, all right, let's, let's make it a trilogy. Well, I got halfway through the writing of the second book and I'd only covered a couple months. And they said, just keep writing it at the same pace because it's starting to pick up now and just tell the story out. And so it wound up to be 16 books in the end. Um, I thought, as I say, we had something special that might sell 100,000 copies, 200,000 copies. I had no idea that at its peak, the very first book alone would average 275,000 sales per month. My word. And it just, you know, it just became a phenomenon that I'll never see again in my lifetime. Man, Mr. Jerry B. Jenkins with us today, the prolific, best-selling author to the tune of 21-time New York Times bestsellers. The latest is called The Chosen. I have called you by name. And we're here on the road for Face Radio. You know, I was on Amazon Prime the other day and I stumbled across. They are streaming the first three original Left Behind films. That was pretty great. I enjoyed going back and watching each of them again. And of course, they were cultural forces in their own right at the beginning of Uh, the 2000s and through the middle of the 2000s. But you mentioned earlier the the journey of seeing your work brought to the screen. So as as a part of that, I've never had the chance to find out really as you watch that, what was that like? What was that experience like? Well, it was a little bizarre because, you know, we we learned pretty quickly once you sell the rights to a filmmaker, um, you kind of, you're kind of out of the process. You know, a lot of people have said, did you have any input into who the actors were or what the plot was or that type of thing? And we didn't. And I, I know from mm-hmm. being in the film business myself that they're two separate mediums and uh, they definitely had their place. People loved those. In fact, it wasn't too long ago. I was at a function here in Colorado where uh, Kirk Cameron was the yes. guest speaker and it was great to see him again. Yes. He's a great guy and a great actor. And uh, so it was fun to see that. I also got a kick out of it when they made the fourth movie and Nicolas Cage played uh, Rayford Steele. I never thought we'd have an actor at that level doing that. <laughs> and it was fun to get to get to meet him on the set and, uh, and hear his view of it, too. It was, it was really fun. Well, I, I was fascinated to ask you about that, too, because I saw it in the theater as well. And they did something completely different with the story than the first trilogy had attempted. I mean, really, it was only focused on the rapture and then that epic plane ride with Nicolas Cage as Rayford Steele. What was that experience like? Did you Were you intrigued by the way they approached that? I really was. And, and a lot of people thought that, that this was different filmmakers, that, that it was Christian filmmakers that did the first three and Hollywood that did the fourth one because of Nick Cage. But really, it was the same company. And uh, they were just, they, they keep trying to make it bigger and better and, and get it to, to work. And um, 
I got to be on the set. The, the set was actually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, mm. and they used the the um, airplane fuselage that was used in the in the TV series Lost because it had hydraulics and it could show shaking plane and all that stuff. <laughs> and uh, that's where I got to meet Nick Cage for a few minutes, and uh, that was a thrill. I mean, I really enjoyed that, and it was fun to watch him work too. Well, very cool. Uh, thank you so much for geeking out with us uh, today, Jerry, and taking you to so many corners of your incredible career. Uh, Mr. Jerry B. Jenkins, the book, the latest is called The Chosen. I've called you by name based on the hit TV series. And this 21-time New York Times bestselling author has been with us today. Sir, before we say farewell, uh, let's go ahead and review you mentioned to us how to get connected with The Chosen, both to begin immersing yourself in the TV series and then to grab a copy of your book as well. Yeah, The uh, the Chosen app um, on your phone is, which is all you need to get the entire series. Um, every episode, it's free to download, and, uh, and you can shoot it to your smart TV in just a matter of seconds. And as far as the book... Anywhere book, books are sold, um, Christian bookstores, general market bookstores are on, online. Um, love to have you check it out. And uh, sure appreciate being with you today, Ryan. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh, man, it was such a treat to have you here, Jerry. Thanks again for your kindness and for your uh, humility and sharing your heart. It was a great treat to meet you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for sharing in the story of this latest episode of Faith Radio's On the Road. For more on today's conversation and the full podcast archive of all our episodes, look for On the Road when you visit MyFaithRadio.com.